The biggest advantage of an insurer is their legacy, their data, their relationships, their balance sheet, their brand. When your legacy is your biggest advantage in the marketplace, I think it becomes very difficult for you to innovate. Not impossible, but very difficult. Welcome to the Insurance Innovators Unscripted, the show dedicated to innovation in the insurance industry. Each episode, you'll get a dose of thought leadership from the industry's top business minds, influencers, innovators, and executive leaders. If you want to transform your corner of the industry and exchange innovative ideas, you need to subscribe to this podcast. Now here's your host, Abel Travis. Hey everyone, welcome to the Insurance Innovators Unscripted Podcast, where we dedicate our discussion to insurance innovation. So I am excited to have Bill Peroni on the podcast today. Now, he is the CEO of Accord, the global standards organization serving the insurance and related industries. Bill, it is truly a pleasure to have you here on the podcast. Welcome. Abel, thank you so much. I've been excited and looking forward to doing this with you and uh, to spend the next 30 or 40 minutes talking to all of your listeners. Awesome. Awesome. Well, hey, Bill, you know, what, what I always like to do, I like to set it up so people know who you are, where you've been and, and what you've done. And, and you know, right now you're running one of the foremost organizations that sets the standards for um, the insurance industry. Now, before we get into that, I would just love to hear more of your backstory and for you to share that with the audience here, because you have somewhat of a diverse background. So I, I just love to hear about your backstory. Well, thanks. For that. I wish I could tell you that I planned this. But uh, I joke with people that this is one accident after another. Most of us who are in the insurance industry uh, never plan to be in the insurance industry. There's always some story around it, and mine is uh, no less uh, 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 serendipitous uh, that I wound in it. But it was a bit random. I originally started as a consultant and had thought I was going to do healthcare consulting. There happened not to be healthcare consulting. This was at Anderson Consulting, which is now currently Accenture, and started accidentally. But I feel very fortunate to be a part of the insurance industry. We do great things. Uh, Spent time at Accenture, became a partner there in the insurance industry uh, at McKinsey uh, in the insurance industry as well. Went to IBM uh, where I ran the global insurance industry um, worldwide. Uh, Chief operating officer at Marsh McLennan was my most recent job and had a fairly long stint at State Farm in the office of the chairman where I was responsible for operations. So it is very diverse, but I assure you it wasn't part of some formal explicit plan um it may be depressing to others to say how did you do it and i think um you know you've heard the old adage the harder you work the luckier you get so um but it doesn't have to happen for you i assure you it was a great deal of luck but i feel very blessed to be part of this industry all of us who serve uh insurance uh, realize we put people's lives back together, uh, buildings get built, lives get put back together, governments are become stable, economies grow and thrive. So very fortunate, didn't mean to do it. I'm a little envious of the actuaries out there who at a relatively young age knew about the industry and knew they wanted it. I didn't even know it existed uh, when I was choosing my major in college. So that's a thumbnail sketch of my background. Yeah, I, I love it. You know, um, and uh, it's it, it's interesting because even as I as I talk to folks around and even myself, you know, um, a lot of us didn't really plan to get in the industry. And, and to your point, unless you were an actuary, but you know, uh, this industry is one that serves so many facets of of basically the the foundation of the world economy and putting lives back together and so on to the to the points that you made and um, and that's really what drew me into the industry too. So I, I love to hear um, that coming from you now. Now with 
with that said, you know, um, you uh, run a court, right? So for those that are listening um, and that's not familiar with your organization, talk to me about what it is, what your value proposition is, and what you're driving in the insurance industry. Sure. So we're um, owned by the industry for the industry. Uh, what we do is in different parts of the world, we do slightly different things, but in general, when carriers interact with reinsurers or brokers and agents, there's a set of data standards. Sometimes that includes an explicit form that's very tangible that you can touch. Sometimes it's a logical or physical data model. Sometimes it has to do with a message transaction, whether it's JSON or XML or old school EDI and, and things like that. So what Accord does is we really are um, the organization where traditional competitors and complements to each other come together to create standards to improve operational efficiency and effectiveness uh, around data exchange. So South Africa, we've got life, the London market, much of the uh, global reinsurance and large commercial premiums move through Accord standards in the United States. Many carriers and listeners will be familiar with Accord forms and standards, certificates of insurance, things like that. And Australia, um, the commercial business, uh, various forms and fashion of standards around the world. But essentially, that's what we do. And the core value proposition is, look, focus on what drives value for consumers, whether it's improved pricing, enhanced products, claims paying ability, capital strength, um, things like that. Don't focus on the actual data itself. It's what you do with the data and how you use it in the context of your strategic intent. So that's essentially what we do. Allow and enable carriers, brokers, agents, uh, uh, software vendors who serve the industry to really focus on what's differentiating and let us worry about the data standard. I liken it to the, an electric plug. And if you think about how painful it is if you travel globally or you're going to a foreign country, you have to worry about what's that plug look like. The point about Accord is regardless of where you're working in the world, that standard is the same. How a policy is named, how insurance is named, what first notice of loss looks like. So for those carriers, and about one-third of the world's premium goes through our standard, you can imagine how nice it is if you think about it uh, to use the, the electric plug as a metaphor that you can travel all over and not worry about what, what kind of what is this message going to have to look like? How is this transaction going to have to operate? So that's, that's kind of what we do. I, hate, I don't want to demean it, but it's a little more than an electric plug, but I think that metaphor works for those who are unfamiliar. Yeah, no, I, I definitely do think it works. And, um, you know, I, I want to uh, just uh, dig in a little bit because I, I so me personally, I get the opportunity to talk to um, a lot of insured techs ac across the world. Right. And, and as you mentioned, about a third of the premium uh, in this industry actually leverages Accord standards. And um, and there's others um, that don't leverage Accord standards. And, and you know, when I speak to some of these insured techs and work directly with those organizations that are trying to um, integrate into carriers that leverage the standards, what they find is that when they try to create their own own capability, um, you know, in some way, shape or form, they're running into the standards that they have to build into their technical capabilities, especially on the the, the data acquisition side of the house. Right now, um, you know, I've I've um, have a, a really good relationship with one of the um, original creators of the standards. And I'm pretty sure you're well aware of, of, of Frank Sentner. Um, and, and, you know, oh, absolutely. He's been, he's, been, uh, he's a, 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 a real steward of the organization. And we're very grateful. He He's actually showing up to our innovation event, and we can talk about that later on in the podcast, um, but he's a judge and part of the organization, so we're very grateful for the leadership he's provided the industry in particular to Accord, so that's that's great that you mentioned, Frank. I'd like to you know take this point to really recognize how important he's been to the organization and our industry. 
he he has done a phenomenal job for the industry and for the organization and um and every time and even though he's been away from uh from uh, the the accord for uh, uh, organization for a while you know um he's to your point he's still a huge advocate now with that said as i think about what those insurtechs are doing uh, you know they're taking uh, uh you know standards from all across the globe um and then designing their capabilities around that so you know as we talk about the spirit of innovation you know how are you all keeping up with the pace of innovation as things begin to transform across the industry globally? Well, you know what's interesting is, uh, I want to say one thing, uh, sometimes constraints actually are liberating. So when you think about these standards, you know, they exist, they're there, right? They're not, you know, they're not um, something that uh, you can just do whatever you want, right? They do prescribe it. But I really would encourage the insurtechs out there to spend a bit of time and understand how much has been done around standards. Because I can't tell you, it makes me feel really bad when you look at these insurtechs and some of these startups and they visit Accord and you could see that they say, look at our logical data model, look at the transaction we've mapped out. And then I say, but it exists already. But ours is complete. Well, so is ours. And then they see it's it's relatively nothing to join Accord and use this. We're here to spur innovation. And then you realize they spent years developing things which they could have gotten relatively free from Accord to just use that. So when I think about the insure tax, less than 20% of insurers globally have a consistent logical and physical data model as to what they call different things, right, internal to their enterprise. Hence, the Accord standards really play a key role. When you think about what Accord really is, it's just atomic level definition of what these things mean and how they're defined and how they're deployed. It doesn't really matter which technology you use, which part of the value chain you're going to use. Now, if you deploy it through a last generation SOAP interface or a RESTful API or it's distributed ledger technology or it's IoT or it's AI, fundamentally these standards are robust, complete, and extensible across the value chain and line of business. So we do appreciate the insure techs when they come to us. And I tell you, I'm happy when an insure tech comes and we actually have a deficiency in the standard. It makes me happy because you've identified an area that we can flesh out work with these insure techs and push it out. Oftentimes, though, we have the standard. It's there. But I'm delighted when they're pushing us and saying, you're missing certain pieces. One of the things we've been working on is digitizing our standards. So when you think about traditional payloads, large messages in um, legacy or last generation technologies, those large payloads, it didn't matter, right? You were using a relatively large pipe and you had old school mainframe applications. With new mobile technologies, they need much more smaller granular messages. That doesn't fundamentally change the Accord standards, how they're packaged might change. So those are some of the things that we're working with in SureTechs. And one of the things we do, and I mentioned it earlier, um, this is the fifth year that Accord has held the InsureTech Innovation Challenge. Um, we've had hundreds of entries. Uh, we have three locations where we conducted around the world, London, Chicago, I know you're a Midwesterner, Abel, um, and New York City. 
Uh, we've handed out tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of prizes. Uh, this year's finalist uh, uh, from London, where it was held in June, was Riskbook. Uh, they're focused on building better reinsurance marketplace through digital platforms for brokers and reinsurers. Chicago semifinalist uh, final is going to be held uh, June 26th, next week, and New York's on July 18th. And we're going to provide an, uh, uh, at the Accord Connect event, October 29th and 30th in Boston, the, the winner will be given award but that type of interaction with these insure techs on an annual basis and we get dozens and sometimes hundreds of entries it really helps to inform us how are we enabling innovation where are we deficient where what should we be doing because in the end we want to be an enabler of this we want to lower the cost risk and time of using the accord standards and these um, uh, events that we hold all around the world globally, they really help us to learn as to what's going on because in the end, you know, innovation, uh, and it's a bit oxymoronic. You can't have planned innovation. You know, ideas spring up all over the place and spontaneously. So that's one of the ways that I think we remain relevant and ensure that we are, you know, enabling innovation and really keeping our finger on the pulse, so to speak. Yeah, and, and that's a really important way. So, um, you know, personally, I'm very familiar with the, the Accord um, InsureTech Innovation Challenges that you all have held uh, globally around the world. And and I know of um, a, a couple of the organizations that uh, might have won um, some of the challenges that you all have had. In I tell you, Abel, it becomes increasingly difficult. I mean, it's awful that there can only be one winner because oftentimes it's – so challenging. They're just wonderful, right? You'd like to recognize everybody. It's, it, it's becoming, every year it becomes that much more difficult to pick a winner. It, it does. And, and what they're doing, um, you know, what, what I'm starting to see is year to year to year, what they're doing is actually very transformational. So actually, I, I want to ask you the question, right? So you all started to do these uh, InsureTech innovation challenges. Um, and I know, you know, you're, you're learning a lot out of um, doing the challenges itself. But why else is it important for you to promote and invest in InsureTech capabilities? You know, what, what, what other reasons do you have to do that? Well, I, I've got to tell you, so look, I love this industry. And as I've said, I think it's a noble industry. I feel blessed to be a part of it. Um, but we have some unique things about our industry, right? And I, 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 I don't mean this in a joking way, but we're, we as an industry are risk averse. Despite the fact that we um, are here to manage risk, reduce risk, uh, transfer risk, in the end, we don't like risk. We like to you know, codify it, manage it, quantify it, transfer it to someone else, measure it. So that makes for a very unique industry. So traditionally, and you look at the traditional players across the value chain here, they're risk averse. Next, what's the biggest advantage of it? Let's go to an insurer. The biggest advantage of an insurer is their legacy, their data, their relationships, their balance sheet, their brand. When your legacy is your biggest advantage in the marketplace, I think it becomes very difficult for you to innovate. Not impossible, but very difficult. How do we price products in the insurance industry? By looking at the past. Past is predictor, right? We as an industry are built for stability and consistency. If you're a property and casualty writer, you don't want a 120 combined ratio and then an 80 combined ratio, then a 110. You want constancy, consistency. We're a very compliant industry. Right, I think we're, 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 we you know, we understand the rules, we obey them. These things tend to come together to make us, I think, 
and I'm not an expert in other industries, but I think we're somewhat unique in that we do need some nudging. We do need some organizations pushing innovation here because, you know, increment, Peter Drucker said incremental change is oxymoronic. I think that we're not going to get to where we need to be as an industry unless you know, we really move beyond incremental change to innovative operating models, innovative capabilities, innovative solutions. And one of the reasons that drew me to Accord is so I can give back to the industry. And I like to think we do a lot, but able, I think, spurring innovation and helping our industry, which has some unique um, uh, cultural attributes. And, you know, cultures uh, are always difficult to define, right? It's, you know, it's, it's difficult, but in the end, I think we're risk averse. We don't like change very much, and we tend to be stable. And legacies an advantage, and past is a predictor, and all the rest. So uh, that's why I think we really need to help here, because you know I, I don't know that we are um, a change-driven industry as other industries. I could be romanticizing those other industries. Maybe uh, experts within in retail or manufacturing or uh, financial services and banking would say, oh no, we're just the same. But I think we're a little special uh, as an industry that we tend to be a little change averse. Yeah, I, I agree with you 100%. And, and actually, I, I got to say, that's why I love what you all are doing with the InsureTech Innovation Challenges. And, and that's truly why I love what's been happening in this space with InsureTech, because they are not bound by legacy. And even if you go back just you know five or six years ago, there were larger organizations, and even shorter than that, there were a larger incumbent organizations. And, and, and I love all of the insurance industry and organizations, but there were some that didn't like to partner with the insure techs that were coming in to transform because legacy was where their value proposition lied. Um, and, and a lot of these transformational insure tech capabilities became the catalyst to change in this industry. So, you know, as, as I think about that, Bill, you know, from your perspective, do you see that, you know, um, carriers that tend to leverage, um, you know, insure tech capabilities? Frankly, I would even look at what you all are, are doing as, a, as an insure tech capabilities. But do you see that as as being both a strategic and a tactical competitive advantage for the carriers it's, because you know, they have the ability so, to do that? So I spent a large part of my career um, building technology solutions, uh, streamlining operations, uh, re-engineering processes, transforming the various parts of the value chain on a global basis. And there was an article written over a decade ago uh, and uh, you, listeners can look it up. It was, does IT matter, right? And the conclusion for the article and the accompanying book was that if you look at IT spend, not just in the insurance industry, uh, the joke was you see it everywhere except in the productivity stats. And then when you look to some of the research done in academic journals, uh, you know, you saw increases in IT spend and you did not see it show up providing strategic tactical advantage either through enhanced growth, enhanced profitability, improved shareholder returns. Well, something about that always bothered me because I thought if you just look at one dimension, right, if you just look at one thing like I have a pound of sugar and I'm going to bake a cake, do you like it? Well, wait, is there flour? Is there butter? Is there vanilla? Is there chocolate? What are you doing with it? To just look at one dimension, I'm quite sure you're not going to see a correlation. Um, so one of the very first studies I did, and I've been in Accord three years, was I used the Accord platform 
to perform a global digitization study. And it was my hypothesis that when we, we, if we can look at strategic intent of the organization, do you compete based on price? Is it unique products, customer differentiation, innovation, right? Is that, well, how do you compete? If you align strategic intent with technology, with culture, with underlying business processes, with the structure, measures, incentives, with the way consumer trends are going in the marketplace, it was my hypothesis that I actually would see a correlation. And lo and behold, we've done this study now three years in a row since I've been here, and the and we came up with a way to measure digital maturity at the bottom of the pyramid, if you can imagine a pyramid, it was digital laggards, and at the top of the pyramid were digital competitors, carriers that really had that alignment I'm talking about. It didn't matter about spend. It was, to your point, were you, and one of the common factors amongst digital competitors that they were very effective users of InsureTech. They knew how to use InsureTech and deploy it selectively across the value chain. And there were a number of traits, which we won't have time to go into today, that they bound. But it did hit that. And every single year, those carriers outperform in growth, in profitability, in free cash flow. And for the publicly traded ones, about half are publicly traded. Their total shareholder returns outperform the industry, the S&P 500, the FTSE in London. Absolutely. Now... Doing so requires real discipline, purpose. You cannot just throw money at this. It requires, an or, and again, an organizational construct. It requires IT be embedded in the business. It requires joint accountability. We have all the factors that do it, but I can say definitively, based on research now, and we now look at 125 of the largest carriers, we now have three years Hundred of the world's largest carriers, it's 50% of the world's premium. Resounding yes, digitization matters. Absolute spend on IT? No. But how it's spent, how it's deployed, how it's used, in what context? Yes, absolutely it matters. And it's obvious. And the listeners can go onto our website. I believe there's abstracts. And we have 8,500 members globally. I'm quite sure most of the listeners will be members. You have access to this study. It's profound. It's very, uh, very eye-opening. And it made me, I, I tell you, I was a little selfish because no one wants to feel that they spent their life doing something that didn't matter. So I admittedly you know, having looked back on a career of building IT systems, helping insurers, brokers, and agents operationally, no one wants to think that it didn't matter. And I, I took some solace from the study. It, it did matter. It does. Yeah, it, it absolutely matters. Um, and it matters from the from the, the technical perspective, as you're talking about, you know, through the, the, the technology. But it also matters from sort of a, a cultural perspective, both um, inside and outside of an organization. Now, I, I want to sort of keep down this path of digital because there's, you know, especially as you start to look externally, you know, uh, the, the customer expectations are just changing, right? Um, and, and in relation to that change, a lot of the way that um, uh, individuals, customers, policyholders, businesses want to engage with uh, insurance organizations, especially when you start to think low, com- low complexity business, um, is through uh, a, 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 an environment that creates an ease of doing business that's driven by other organizations that have nothing to do with insurance when you think about the changing customer expectations. So that drives other types of experiences, whether it's mobile, online, and so on. 
on. So, so Bill, from your perspective, you know, first and foremost, you know, how do the best experiences help to really align with the customer expectations? And are there examples out there of what you've seen that of organizations that are really providing the best experience from a digital perspective, both externally facing and then also from the ground up internally? Well, you're making an incredibly important point that we as an industry have to recognize. Our customer expectations are oftentimes not being set by any of us. They are being set by the like of banks, online platforms, online retailers, travel and transportation industries. That experience and that expectation, right, is directly uh, applicable to what we're trying to do in the insurance industry. Now, I hate to keep referring to Accord studies, but we did two studies. We do them annually. We look at uh, most of the major personal lines PNC websites in the United States. We look at thousands of variables, every single question, five demographic psychographic segments. We do the same study in the UK. Now, it's interesting. In the UK, 85% of consumers in the United Kingdom do something online uh, associated with their auto and home. Um, 45% actually bind. Now, in the United States, only, only 45% of consumers actually do something online uh, on an annualized basis with a lesser number binding. But when I look to the UK, I think the UK is more mature in terms of customer expectations. And so where do I think it ends up? Well, I look at the UK and I see 85% of consumers online. I see a little less than half here shopping uh, getting educated, even binding, maybe some first notice of loss, endorsement processing, et cetera, et cetera. And what we are finding is that there are two dimensions we look at. One is enablement. Can I get a quote? Can I do a billing inquiry? Can I pay a bill? But then there's also engagement. How well do you really engage this consumer in that experience that you spoke about, Abel, right? How do you do that? Now, interestingly enough, in the UK, they tend to be a bit better on, enga- on engagement, like uh, grabbing the consumer, but on enablement, they fall short. The, the reverse is true in the United States. We collectively, with our online experiences, tend to be far better at enabling. Like, you can do it, you can get it done. But we tend to fall a bit short on, uh, uh, um, on engaging them and really grabbing them emotionally, right? If you can, and by the way, you can get people emotionally. You raise an important issue about consumers. I want to go one step further. I worry about talent in our industry. Over the next 10 years, we all know this, at least 15%, I just did that analysis today, at least 15% of our workers are going to retire in the United States. We, as an industry, show up below fast food at an interest level. Less than 4% of millennials are post-millennials, and I hate using labels Right, but everyone knows it's the relatively young. And please uh, uh, don't send me hate mail. I, I feel badly, but we, I just try to describe the next generation of workers. Less than four percent are even interested in the insurance industry. I worry about consumers, but in the end, I think insurers and brokers and agents are nothing more than a collection of people. As much as technology matters, if you don't have talent, high skill, high will talent, and when I think about technology in particular. When I look at the interest level there, we don't even show up 
I can't even measure that. I'm talking about things like claims adjusters and underwriters and actuaries and finance people. In technology, we've got a real challenge with college graduates really having any interest in working there. And, you know, I, I really want us to invest, yes, of course, to, to address consumer demands, but at a minimum, how are you going to attract the next generation of talent into your organization? If you fundamentally believe that it's a future inevitability that technology and the experience that it provides or doesn't provide will be a, a baseline capability. See, able. I think right now it's differentiating, but what is differentiating today rapidly moves to baseline. Like if you're not doing it, you're out of the game. That if you're not attracting and retaining this talent, if you don't have a culture, an investment profile, a set of technologies that can bring them in, I worry about those organizations. So yes, I worry about the consumer, but underlying that is that talent attractiveness. I want, because it's a great industry here. Absolutely. And, and, you know, what, what I wanted to say is that, you know, it's, as you mentioned, you know, how do you attract that talent and at the same time? You know, how do you make sure that you keep that talent? Because there are expectations, right? Especially as, you know, I think the number, I know you said 15 percent, the number is something like 400,000 over the next few years is it's going to be retiring out of the industry. And the expectation is going to be to refill those positions with new talent, new people coming into this particular industry. But even with that said, in, in order to retain them, there's going to be a lot of things from an expectation perspective that they're going to be looking to see from us, from a technology, you know, from workplace flexibility and, and, and those types of things. Right. And and I think that you sort of hit the nail right on the head because that becomes exponentially important to then help to drive what we've been doing for quite a long time in terms of servicing and, um, and, and doing what's right within this industry in order to be able to uh, support the economy, uh, you know, service the needs of our customers and so on. You know, now, Bill, when, when I think about where we're going and what carriers need to do, not only on the talent side, but just from a value perspective, right? You know, um, I, I, I look at the carriers and the value that we create and what we think is going to continue to create value for the future. But then I look at non-insurance organizations that are looking to get into insurance type operations like a Tesla, for example, which is a really sexy product, but that's now looking to transform the auto insurance space to meet its own needs. But in the end, that may wind up edging out um, other carriers that might have a stronghold in that space for at least a, a, a couple percentage points on the competitive perspective. And their uh, an environment is one that's conducive to retaining talent. So I, I guess I'd love to hear your perspective on that in, in a couple of ways, right? What do you think about organizations that are looking to come into insurance that's not really an insurance organization that, that could really not only transform the customer experience, but also the experience for the talent? And what could insurance carriers and agents and other organizations do to continue to create that sustainable value for everyone within the value chain? I think for non-traditional uh, insurance organizations, I think they need to appreciate the fact that 90% of consumers and businesses leave their current carrier for one of two reasons. You grossly mishandle a claim or the premium goes up more than 10% a year. Now, 
Oftentimes, it's the case that the 10% rate increase or more was justified through an experience. So claims matter. That experience really matters in keeping customers. And I would also encourage non-traditional insurance organizations, we have a relatively complex regulatory environment. So when you look to other countries around the world and accords in 100 plus countries, um, there really is no other country like the United States with 53 separate legal jurisdictions um, uh, across the territory and navigating that is non-trivial. Right. So at first glance, you'd say oh, it, it's an easy product. But for those of us in the industry, if you've seen one state, you've seen one. Right. So it's incredibly difficult. So I would appreciate the regulatory nature of what we do and also understand the importance of claims. And all of us know the whole point of an insurer is a promise to pay a claim. So you've got to be able to pay that claim. Now, for insurers and incumbents, I think increasingly consumers, you mentioned Tesla, they want a solution. Yes, they want that promise to pay a claim, but they want a solution to a problem that they have, and they want relative ease of doing business. So if you're able to acquire a credit card with two or three questions, I think the expectation, whether it's renters or homeowners, is going to be that. But that will also creep into small commercial, mid-market, and we may eventually get large commercial insureds who are saying, why do I have all this paper? Why do the renewals take so long? Why is this so complex? Right? I'm, I have relatively the same asset base. So I think we need to be investing, not for today necessarily, but what do we think the expectations are? And I will tell you, Abel, uh, consumer and both individual and commercial or individual for life and group, they're increasing at an increasing rate. And uh, the tide can't go back. So if you as a, as a stakeholder in industry are not investing in enhancing the customer experience and more importantly, look, for hundreds of years in our industry, guess what? Consumers like to be treated as individuals, right? You know, what do you need? What do you want? How can I tailor a product? At some point, it became relatively generic and then we've started to become a little more tailored. They're going to want mass customized experiences. I mentioned that web study where we looked at five demographic uh, uh, psychographic profiles. Did you tailor the action based on where the person lived, what their life stage was? How did you, or did you have one generic experience? So I almost feel like it's back to the future. You know, think about walking to an agent's office 50 years ago and them looking and understanding you're a retiree, you're a young person, you've got a new family and tailoring the value proposition, the interaction, the same. That has to be developed to strengthen our traditional agents, but also think about alternative channels as well. And how are you understanding that everyone's important, but what's important to them may vary. But the one common thread is they want a good experience. And think about Maya Angelou. You may not remember what they said, but you'll remember how they made you feel. Consumers remember how they felt when they shopped, when they filed a claim, when they got a quote, when they tried to interact, regardless of the channel, whether it's a call center or an independent agent or an exclusive agent or uh, uh, an internet site. How are they feeling? It matters. And that's why I brought up that point about engagement. Are you engaging them? And increasingly, for young people, they want to be engaged as part of this, right? And we can do that because we, we, we're a great industry with great values that do wonderful things. I just don't think maybe we're thinking enough about it. 
Right? Yeah, I, I would absolutely agree with that. You know, um, and, and I wonder. So we see all of these things that Accord has been doing, right, from the Accord Innovation Challenges to the, the transformational um, ways in which you all have been applying your, your capabilities and, frankly, globally. Right. I, I, I got, you know, there's an example in which when I was in London, you know, I, I had the opportunity to meet with a, a handful of potential um, organizations that we were going to uh, that I wanted to strike up a partnership with in the London markets. And, and they were looking, um, you know, for ways to engage uh, other U.S. based organizations, um, you know, from a from a technical perspective, from sort of a, 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 a data perspective and also just in relation to creating new business. Right. Um, but, but between our respective markets. And and one of the things that shown really clearly was the fact that um, and this is what the individual said, you know, is, is that um, as they're looking at building out their technical capabilities and, and some of their data capabilities, the first standards that they look for is what's leveraged through many of the top tier organizations in the U.S. And that's the Accord standards. And that's what they were going to build on top of. So, you know, what what that showed me was you all as an organization really permeated the entire world in relation to how the uh, the, the our global insurers um, think about innovation. So how, Bill, are you maintaining that culture of innovation within your organization? And what are you also doing to port that globally because people are feeling it in other places? Yeah, when I think about how do I sustain innovation at Accord, um, I think there's a number of dimensions you know, that we think about, um, particularly our business strategy. Um, I think the essence of strategic intent is resource allocation. You can't say we care about innovation and not fund digitization of the standard, not fund an innovation challenge, not fund outreach to new. So first, it begins with resource allocation. Next, you have to recognize that idea generation, right, is sporadic. It's learning driven. You have to be open. You can, you should have a plan. You should have a vision. And we do that at Accord, but we're very open to the surprises, right? And being able to stop, rethink, redirect. So despite the fact that we've got a plan and an explicit approach to it, I make sure that we've got, and this goes to culture, right? Making sure that, you know, that these things are, are sporadic. There's multiple discontinuities as you go. As we're trying to be innovative, Process matters, inputs, tasks, outputs, key performance indicators. But if you really want innovation, you only increase rigor as it matures. You can't have very deep process rigor because you will squeeze out any kind of innovation, right? Um, when you think about the scope, right? Now, we at Accord have a lot of current offerings around architectures and data dictionaries and forms and standards. But when I think about scope and us serving the industry, what are substitutes for Accord standards? What complement? Can we offer market-shaping offerings so that innovators can really come up? And with that kind of environment, it's my hope, right, that we're attracting and retaining, right, the types of people right, that are able to, you know, really make a difference here. And it's my belief that strategy does not separate high performers. It's culture. In the end, culture eats strategy for breakfast, right? That means all the leaders at Accord have to consistently and visibly adhere to the values we promote, right? That we, when we tell, when we're trying to do something, you know, it's why before how, why are we trying to do this? And I tell you what's really important. You have to make it safe for people to fail, right? 
you know, when you really, when I see encounter some of our members, we say, why can't we be innovative? Well, sometimes your employees don't know how to be innovative, what to be innovative around or why. They think something else is more important. They believe it won't work. Personal limits or obstacles present them. But finally, and most importantly, they're punished sometimes for doing it, right? And so if we don't provide a safe environment for people to experiment, try, and fail, and by the way, fail fast, right? Don't drag it out for years. We tried and it didn't work. Recognize there is no effective doing without making mistakes. If you are not failing, you are really not trying to be innovative in doing. That doesn't mean you destroy value. That doesn't mean that you expect and budget, right, and assume it's going to fail. But recognize it's a very real thing. And when it's safe, people will come to you one week in, one month in, and say, not working, got to stop. Oftentimes, these runaway projects that go on for years is because they're very nervous. They're scared. They'll feel really punished for trying innovation. So when I think about what we try to do, we try to create that environment and try to attract people who have the same values as us. We're fortunate. I've been a part of organizations with hundreds of thousands of employees. We have hundreds, so it becomes a little easier. So I don't want to uh, um, uh, uh, be too harsh. You know, some of these organizations have tens of thousands of people. It's a very difficult thing to change culture and get it. But in the end, people don't... You know, high performers won't stay in these cultures. You mentioned the younger generation and new workers. It's, I don't think it's going to be a problem for industry to attract them. I think it's more about retention. You know, with enough money and effort, you can get them to come, but will they stay? Will they be productive? Will they be innovative, right? That's going to be the key, I think, that retention part and developing people. The, the, the uh, New graduates want to be developed. They want to be impactful. They want to be relevant. They want to be part of a culture that's aligned with who they are, right? And it has to be real. It can't just be slogans or missions or visions. There's a profound difference between really accomplishing something and having the appearance of accomplishing something. Plans, decisions, presentations, documentation, mission statements, that's not accomplishing anything. Until you've really driven innovation and made a difference, you haven't really changed the enterprise. And I think you've got to be very sensitive to that. Yeah, I, I would agree with that 100%. You know, um, and, and you're right. There's a, a lot of organizations that might put together a lot of plans and PowerPoints and, you know, death by PowerPoints and decks and everything. And, um, and, and in all honesty, you know, until you can see the tangible result of what's been happening, you know, you're, you're really not going to get a sense of what real innovation is in that organization. And, and frankly, it, it, it's not going to do anything to change the culture and some, until something tangible is in place. You know, so um, I think... I think, um, again, you know, you, you hit the nail on the head when it comes to that. And, and, and that's something that um, a lot of uh, people are looking for um, as a part of what could potentially retain them in an organization. Now, with that said, you know, one of the questions that I always ask, because I, I, I like to make our conversations real for those that are listening, you know, if there's folks that are listening to you and I speak here today about Accord, about your thoughts around innovation, um, and, um, and if they want to go back and, and do something to change the status quo in their organizations, what advice would you give them to bring back the spirit of innovation? I think the, the number one thing, and I mentioned, I'll say it again, is do your part to drive out fear and inaction. Right. Whether you're a leader or whether you're an entry level person, look, recognize that the only real failure is the failure to act. 
and to try to make a difference. Recognize people who deliver bad news in a timely fashion, but deliver, right? Capture and communicate lessons learned from failures, right? Really embrace this spirit, right? Or if you're not part of it, at least get behind those that are, right? I just worry about, you know, the fact that we... We do our best to hire people. People come into our industry enthused, energized, ready to do a good job. And how do you sustain that initial first day, right? That day when you started working, you can remember it when you were incredibly excited and you felt energized. Nobody takes a new job feeling, oh, no, I can't believe it. What can we do? All of us can play a role, whether we're, it's our first day. Right? How do we maintain that same level of enthusiasm? Or it's our last day. How do we keep people excited and energized? Because in the end, we're just people. Right? This is an industry of patents or factories or you know, machinery. It's human beings using technology, interacting with other human beings to create value and fulfill our promise. So really do your part to ensure that you've got a culture of, that, that supports and fosters high-skill, high-will talent. Absolutely. Well, hey, Bill, you know, uh, I want to say thank you. This was such a great conversation. And I, of course, me, I love uh, speaking to others that have the same level of energy that I have around this transformation that's happening in the insurance industry. If people that are listening want to learn more or maybe want to get in contact with you and your team, what do you, what, what's the best way for them to do that? Oh, the, the absolute best way is we've got, go right online, go to the Accord website, educational materials, contacts, a lot of the thought leadership that we spoke about today are available, and if not, I'm easily found out whether it's on LinkedIn or via the website. So, uh, look, Abel, I want to thank you for having these uh, podcasts, because it, it, I know it takes a lot. Um, to do these things, uh, a lot of work on your part, but uh, I sincerely appreciate what you're doing here, and I know your listeners appreciate it, so I'd like to thank you uh, for conducting these, and really thank you for the invitation to be a part of this, and anytime you'd like to invite me back, I'd, I'd be honored to be part of the, the podcast. Absolutely, no, Bill. Thank you. I do truly appreciate that, and of course, I'm going to continue to follow all of the great things that Accord has been doing. Thank you, Abel. Appreciate it. Thank you. Hey everyone, thanks for listening again to this episode of the Insurance Innovators Unscripted Podcast. I love energizing conversations around what's happening in this industry and I know you do too. So if you got any value out of this conversation, hit that subscribe button, especially if this is your first time listening. Or um, if you think that others could get value out of this, shoot this over to your colleagues and have them subscribe too. So once again, thanks for listening and I'll see you next week.